welcome you again to Door Creek Church. It's good to be together. And if you're up north, up in DeForest, a welcome to you this morning. And if there are any guests up there, so glad that you're here. My name's Mark, one of the pastors here. A good morning to the chapel crowd as well. Good to be together. So if you didn't notice, there's been some bulldozers hanging out in the back 40 here. So it's not like we have 40 acres, we've got 30 acres, and a couple of those acres are turning into some sports fields, some soccer fields. So we're excited about it. That's part of your generous giving to Rooted. That's going to allow us to, uh, we're going to start a professional soccer team here. No, that's so. We're going to have some great ministry to kids in our community through sports, and we're doing that now. We're excited to expand that. So we're continuing our series, Simplify, and today we're going to be talking about simplifying our schedules, okay? So um, how do you spend your time? How did you spend your time this week? Do you have a sense of that? Here's uh, some statistics that come from the Labor Department, and it's just kind of, uh, it's a segment. It's not all of us, but if you look at this pie chart here, it says, People 25 to 54 with children, all right? So it's not all of us, it's a lot of us. Here's what it says about those folk. In the average day, they're going to spend about eight hours, 7.7, sleeping. That sounds pretty good. I didn't know we got that much sleep. About almost nine, working. We go, yeah, I get that part. 2.5, leisure. Do I have leisure? Yeah, 2.5 hours. Chores, an hour. Meals, it's kind of amazing. Three meals, three squares. And that's about 20 minutes, an, an hour, Caring for others, 1.2, and other, miscellaneous, whatever, we're not sure, 1.6. How do you spend your time? How do you know if your schedule's like in a good place? How, how do you know if it's like unhealthy, if it's healthy? Do you have a sense of what happens to you when your schedule is too chock full and you're crazy busy? Do you know what those signs are, those triggers are, the telltale signs? For me, one of them could be, um, sometimes it's been, I kind of flinch when the phone rings at home. It's like, oh, what, what else? What is it now? Uh, some of you go, that's not a problem. I never answer the phone. You need to pick up that. It'll just help you out, Pastor. Um, another one is when I've just completely missed an appointment or had the, oh my goodness, I double booked. That's never happened to you, I can tell. Um, how do you know? How do you know? Do you wish you had more time? More time each day, more time each week. What if I said, um, hey, I know a way to give you an extra day every week. Would, would you take it? An extra day? A day where you could relax, be restored, refreshed, renewed. Does that sound of interest to you? Is that something you'd go for? Or would you say, eh, I don't know, another day? It just sounds like my, day, my, my, my week's going to get crazier. Well, today we're going to talk about three important questions. The first is, what does the Bible say about time? The second is, what does the Bible say about how to make the best use of our time? Not just good use, but the best use of our time. And then the third is, so how would we make changes to our schedule to kind of line up our lives with God's way and his rhythms and his word? So what does the Bible say about time? Let me point out four things. The first is kind of philosophic, but it's just kind of good to get our bearings. The Bible starts by telling us the eternal God, so God is separate from time, created time when he created this world. So in chapter 1, 
We know that God said, let there be light. And then there was light and there was darkness. There was the day, there was the night. And with that, verse 14 says, there were days and there were seasons and there were years. God created time. He stands and exists apart from time. He's created us in time and promises one day that we will live outside of time. In Psalm 90, the psalmist says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. As for us though, we're mortal. We are from the dust and to the dust we're gonna return. Verse five says, we are like new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up, but in the evening it's dry and withers. It doesn't happen in Wisconsin, but it happens all over the Middle East. God created time. He's separate from time. We're placed in time. He promises one day that we will live outside of time, eternally. Second thing the Bible says, this is not philosophic. This is real, all right? Buckle up. Time is short. Time is short. Life is short. And none of us know when our lives will end. And so the psalmist in verse 12 of chapter 90 of Psalm 90 says this, teach us God to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Help me understand the brevity of life to number my days that I have a heart of wisdom as I live out my days, however many you give me. In Psalm 39 verse four, the psalmist again, show me Lord my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. There's a third thing the Bible points out. And again, this isn't exhaustive. I'm just picking out four important things. The third thing is, there is a time, a day, each week, where we are commanded by God to stop, to cease from our work and to rest and be renewed in our spirit, in our body, in our souls, as we place our delight in God with his people. There is a time, that is a day, that God has set aside for us to stop working and to rest in God, delight in God, delight in the work that he has accomplished in this world and through us on the cross by his grace. God rested on the seventh day. So long before the fourth commandment in Exodus 20, we read in chapter one that God rested on the seventh day, the first book of the Bible, the first page. And so there's a rhythm in God's world that is to mark our lives. And it marks our lives on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. It marked God's people annually as they celebrated the seven feasts Every seventh year, a Sabbath year. Every seventh, seventh year, the Ju Jubilee year. We read this in Genesis 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he, God, rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Exodus 20, the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
there's a fourth and final thing. Time is a gift of God and it's to be stewarded wisely. Time, like money, like all that we have, comes from God. It's a commodity, if you will, and we are stewards of it. He gives it to us each day. We can't relive yesterday, and we can't kind of take a crack at tomorrow. He gives it to us today, and he asks us to use it, to steward that time wisely. So it's not just our time. It's the time that he's given us. It's God's time that he's allowing us to, to live in. And so the psalmist says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118, 24. In Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, look carefully then how you walk, how you live your life, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Because the days that we live in are evil. He's speaking of the days between Christ's first coming and second coming, these last days. Make the best use. We're stewards of it. So this leads us then to the second question. So what does the Bible say about how we would make the best use? What is the best use? What, what is the best use of the time that God gives us each day and throughout our lives? Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5, and let's kind of catch up with the context there in chapter 5. So we read on from the days are evil in verse 16 to verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. Don't be controlled with wine. That's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. Verses 17 and 18 of Ephesians 5. And so God, when he says, make the best use, to say, I want you to make a really great investment. I'm not looking for 1% on my time. I'm not satisfied with five. We're not excited about eight or 10. We get, we'd start doing backflips when we look at the end return of our investment and it says 22, 25, 35%. We're going, wow. God says, that's what I'm talking about. Don't give me what the banks give you. I'm not looking for one or two. I'm looking for a big, the best. I want you to kill it in this commodity, in this market called time, your schedule, how you use it, how you spend it. But here's the deal. The world we live in, the current that we swim in, of this culture, of this day, makes it really difficult to make the best use of time. And it's not because there's all these bad things out in culture. There's like a lot of great things, but they complicate the best by giving us all this other stuff. So I was thinking back. When I was a youth pastor in the early 80s, let me clarify, that would be the 1980s, because when I tell you these things, young people, you're going to go, that had to be the 1800s. Because when I was a youth pastor, we didn't have cell phones. Can you believe it? We didn't have a cell phone. There were computers. I didn't get emails. So if you wanted to talk to me, you sent me a letter or you called. And if I wasn't in the office, I would get these pink slips. Some of us know, I know all about it. Some of you are going, we're still using them. I don't know why, but you are. So, okay, for those of you under 25, let me explain what this is. 
This is a piece of paper that the secretary, the receptionist, put in my box to say, John Smith called, and here's his phone number, and here's what he wants you, you know, maybe just call back or urgent. This is key communication. Now think of today. I've got a cell phone. I've got a phone in my house, another number. I know, we're working on that. I know what you're thinking. All right, uh, we've, I've got a phone in my office. On my cell phone, I can see when someone calls, right? I can see when someone texts. I can read the text message. I can listen to the voicemail if someone left me a voicemail. I've got my emails. I got my personal emails, my Yahoo account. That's right on my phone. And then I got my Door Creek emails, right? And then I go home and there's messages on, oh, and there's messages on my phone in my office. My assistant Melanie, bless her heart, she gets those. And Lori, bless her heart, she gets the ones at home. But I got, and then we got mail. Right, we got mail at our home, we got mail at the office. Like there's all this stuff. I used to just like get letters and phone calls or maybe an occasional pink slip. Now there's all this stuff going on. And not only is there all this stuff going on and all these wonderful options in our lives, but now there's these expectations. Like how, I, I, I gotta get back to them. I got like how many emails am I, how many, I don't know if I got to, and have you ever noticed that you never put answering emails in your calendar? your schedule, and you're always going, why am I always running out of time? Because like, that's a big thing we do. And so there's these expectations. I got to get back to it. Or, you know, I am so grateful to my kids when they ban me from all things social media. What a gift. I mean, but some of you are chasing your wall and you're chasing this thing and that thing. And you're going, I got to stay in touch. And then there's the pressures, the pressures from work. And you signed up for the job and they said it's a 40-hour job. And hello, Everybody around the office is working like 60 to 70. And it's really clear. It doesn't matter what's on the piece of paper. This is the expected norm. And if you want to get that raise, if you want to get that promotion, that's what you do. So there's these pressures. Pressures from work. Faster, make more, produce more. There's pressures from home and all the things that we could be about with our friends to keep up with our spouse with our kids, with our extended family, and on and on the list goes. And so it's so easy to realize in the world that we live in, and with all the benefits that we have, it is really difficult to make the best use, to make that 25, 35, 50% investment return on my time. So what does the Bible say about it? It says a lot of things. Let me pick out Three. First from Ephesians 5, did you notice? If we're going to make the most of our time, we need to know God's will. We need to understand what it says by the power of the Spirit so that we can not just know it but actually do it. I've got to know God's will if I'm going to make the best use of my time. That means I've got to be in God's word. I need to know what God's word says. And then I need the Spirit's help so I understand it so that I can apply it. This is exactly what Paul is praying for his friends at Colossae. Colossians 1, 9 through 11. So in my um, spiritual growth plan for Rooted, meditation on a verse a week, and uh, we just studied this with uh, the pastors and leaders and our spouses last weekend, and this is like these, these verses... That's what I'm, this is like my May meditation right here. And this is a great prayer. 
This is what Paul prayed for his friends. This is what we pray for each other, pray for our kids. And notice the connection of God's will and the Spirit here, knowing God's Word and how the the Spirit is always working with the Word and the Word is always connected to the Spirit. So Paul says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Why? So that you may live worthy of the Lord, of Christ, and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, like when it's hard and you feel like giving up. And so we need to be in God's word. We want to make the best use of time. We got to know what God's will is. What does God say about how we're to think and how we're to behave and what is important to us? We need to know God's will, be in God's word, and we've got to pray, Holy Spirit, keep filling me. The the word to be filled is keep on being filled because we're all like sieves. We leak. And if we're not filled every day with the Spirit and we're filled by the Spirit as we're in the Word because the Word is connected to the Spirit. It's called the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6. We're filled with the Spirit as we cry out to Jesus. Jesus, fill me with your Spirit. I need an extra measure of Spirit. And with your Spirit, I need wisdom, all the wisdom. And I need understanding so that I can live a life that is worthy, that measures up to you, Lord Jesus, that is pleasing, that bears fruit in every good work, that, that is strong as I grow in my knowledge of who you are and as I have more and more endurance and patience for the things that are hard in my life. So we need to be in God's word. We need to be in God's word every day and be filled with his spirit all through the day. Fill me with your spirit, Lord Jesus. Give me your spirit. So the spirit regularly uses the word to move us in the right direction. But there are times that you've experienced and I've experienced where the Spirit, you didn't hear anything, you didn't see anything, but you sensed it. I remember so clearly going home and I'm passing by the intersection back in Wheaton, Illinois, and the right turn would have been four blocks to CDH Hospital. And the Lord reminded me of someone who was in the hospital. He says, you should go visit him. I was the Spirit telling me how to make the best use of my time. That was the end of the day. It's kind of tired. And I said to myself, you know, I'll go tomorrow. You know what happened, don't you? You know what happened. They passed away that night. And I lost an opportunity to make the best use. That's the spirit. My friend's telling me about a friend of mine. This is another state going through a really hard time. She uh, has fractured relationship with her extended family, with her own children, and uh, she reconnects to a church, to an old friend who knows a little bit of her story. She goes to a woman's event, and at the end of the event, they invited women to come forward for prayer. So she went up forward to this woman that she knew over time, and then another woman who she's never met the woman starts to pray that she's never met and she starts praying about her relationships with her children 
and praying that she'd be open to reconciliation and moving to all, all these things, super, super specific. At the end of the prayer, this woman who is going through all kinds of turmoil relationally in her life and in many other ways, turns to this woman and said, how did you know what's going on? She says, I, I didn't. It's just the spirit. The spirit of me. The spirit of God is powerful. The spirit of God normally is working through God's word. The word and spirit always working together. But we don't, we don't put God in a box. We don't put God's spirit in a box. So if we want to make the best use of our time, we need to know and understand God's word. We need the fullness of the spirit every day to understand it, have the wisdom to live it, not just know it. There's a second thing the Bible says. We'll make the most of our time if we understand that life is short and every day is a gift. Say this to me. Life is short, every day a gift. Life is short, every day a gift. Say it to your neighbor. Life is short, every day a gift. You don't have to tell a person who's had cancer that. You don't. You just, it's one of the, it's one of those Gifts in the midst of something really hard. Life is short. Each day is a gift. You want to make the best use of time? Then understand that. The psalmist says, God, teach me to number my days. He wasn't saying, I'm losing track. I'm getting old. I forget what day I'm on. No, he's saying, help me to remember that life is short because it's easy to forget. But not when you go to the funeral, not when you read the obituary, not when you hear the heartbreaking news that maybe you just heard this week, not when you see the kids growing up so fast, not when you're hanging out with your 91-year-old dad. You realize life is short. Not when you think you're 20, but your body says, "Uh uh-uh, no, you're not. So listen to this. The Bible says three score and 10, 70 years. And if you're strong, maybe 80. So 80 years, I didn't, I'm not smart enough to get the leap year thing in, but here's what it is. 29,200 days, that's 80 years. If you're 18, you got 22,630 left. That's a big number. 36, you're down to 16,060. If you're 54, you got 9,490 left. If you're 72, you're less than 3,000. So I know that doesn't work for some of you. So let me give you 80 years on a tape measure. All right? 80 years. Here you go, right here. 80 years. So um, I'm 57. Wow. Wow. I like that thing as 50 is a new 30. So <laughs> maybe I got, no, I got, I got 57. 57. You know what? In a month, 58. I know you've always wondered. June 8, 1958. So here's the deal. I don't know if I've got a 32nd. You don't know if you got a 16th. You don't know if you got a quarter. You don't know if you got a half. You don't know if you have an inch. You don't know. You, you don't know. We don't know. All we know is what James says. 
Our lives, it's like a morning fog, and it's gone. It's gone. It's fast. It's fast. Now, I was talking to a 13-year-old last night as we were celebrating our life groups. I don't know if you've heard, but life groups have been blowing up, and if you're not part of life groups or a small group, maybe it's Celebrate Recovery or Alpha or a women's study or men's study, uh, whatever, uh, you're, you're missing out because... They're blowing up and people are finding community. But I found a 13-year-old girl, girl who was hanging out with her dad who was doing the sound. And I said to her, so how old are you? What grade are you? I'm in seventh grade. So I said, because I'm thinking about time, I said, so how's it going? It's like seventh grade, fast or slow? And she was thinking, A schedule, B schedule. I said, well, let's get beyond A schedule, B schedule. Like, how's this year going? What do you think she said? Slow. Do you remember how long it took for us to get our driver's license? I mean, I remember a kid growing up on, we celebrated on Christmas Eve. It had to be like the longest month of the year. It was like, ah. And, the, and, and those dog days of summers, they just went on and on. It just moved slow. And then you get a little older and you get a little older. And I don't know the physics of it, but I'm sure there are physics to this. The time is moving quicker every year I get older. Teach us to number our days. And if the psalmist prayed that, that's probably good for us to know. That's probably an easy thing to forget, isn't it? That's why 10 times to one, I'd rather do a funeral as a pastor than a wedding. Because I got people's attention at a funeral. People's ears are open. At a wedding, not so. There's a third thing the Bible says. We will make the most use of our time if we remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Exodus 20, verse 8. The day is set apart from creation, and then God reestablishes the order of this one day in seven with his people in the wilderness, right? When they're out gathering manna, and he says, on the sixth day, you get twice as much, because on the seventh day, you're not going out, because you're going to remember that. And then he institutes the command, and the command was to be a sign of the covenant, is this. What is this about? Not gold. This is about my bride, Lori Myfair. It's about my relationship. It's to be a sign of a relationship. These people are to set apart one day in seven because they are a set apart people who have been delivered by a gracious God and are relating to him with all kinds of gratitude. And so the Sabbath was a time of gathering with God's people to worship. Leviticus 23.3. There are six days when you work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest. By the way, that word Sabbath, it means stop. It's literally what it means in the Hebrew. Stop. It's a, a day of sacred assembly. You're not to do any work wherever you live. It's a Sabbath to the Lord. And it's the Sabbath to the Lord where we're delighting in God and finding our joy in him. Isaiah speaks of this, the prophet. Verse 13 of chapter 58. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. 
You want to make the best use of your time? And start keeping the Sabbath. It's like, well, how, I mean, come on. How, how in the world could I ever have more margin in my life if I don't do anything like get anything done? I'm like, well, I can't get it done now. What does it mean to keep it holy? Well, let's go back and see what God did. When God rested on that first Sabbath, that seventh day, you know what he did? He ceased from his labor. His work was complete as he, even as it was going on in creation. But his creative work was done. And he enjoyed his creation. And what is he saying throughout chapter one? It was good. It's good. It's good. Adam and Eve, very good. He's enjoying his creation. And we do the same. We're enjoying his creation. The fruits of our labor, the fruits of God's work in this world. The whole point of Sabbath is to find joy and delight in God, Keller says. Now, Jesus is our real example of what does it look like. Here's the deal, though. When you read Jesus on the Sabbath, you find out that everybody who's a religious leader has a problem with how Jesus is not keeping the Sabbath. They, they keep accusing him, you're breaking the Sabbath, you're breaking the Sabbath. What are you doing? What are you doing? You're doing work, you're doing work, you're doing work. What he was doing was breaking their laws that they put around God's law so that people wouldn't get close to breaking God's law. But Jesus never broke the commandment. In fact, he perfectly fulfilled it. How did he do it? He did three things. When you read the New Testament, he was delighting in God. That is, he was worshiping God. You'd always find him in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Sometimes he was teaching. Sometimes he was just worshiping. He's delighting with God's people as he worshiped God, with God's people. The second thing he's always doing and this is what was always getting him in trouble. He's doing good. He is like so many of the miracles were done on the Sabbath. He's doing good, meeting real needs to people who are in hard situations. And the third thing he was doing is he's celebrating. He's feasting. He's gathering with people around a meal, around a table, enjoying life, worshiping, doing good, celebration. And so this command, this principle says to us, the way God has ordered this life is that we should not treat all the days the same. That we should not think about work-life balance like this. We work every day and wherever we can, find rest and leisure, just get it in there somewhere. Or just have a really great vacation whenever you can get that or afford that. No, it's we don't work every day. Every day is not to be treated the same. We don't miss out on worshiping with God's people. It's part of the rhythm of life. We don't miss out on doing good to those who are in need. And so the Sabbath is a gift. Jesus says, look, the Sabbath was made for us, not us for the Sabbath. This is a grace, not just a law. This is a gracious discipline. I love how Kevin DeYoung puts it in his book, Crazy Busy. He says, it's an island of get to in a sea of have to. God's saying, you get to do this. And what we get to do has everything to do with faith. Because what we find out is keeping the Sabbath is more about what the Sabbath does to us than what we do to that day. 
Because when we set that day apart and take God at his word and delight in him and do good and worship him with others and celebrate the relationships and community that God has given us, you know what it is? Then this Sabbath keeps us. It keeps us whole and it keeps us sane so that we're living a life that is sustainable. Have you ever heard the story about the settlers going west? They're a group of people that believed in the Sabbath principle and on the seventh day, they didn't travel. And then there's a bunch who said, fooey on you, we're getting west as quick as we can. Guess who got there quicker? That's right. And guess who had most of their faculties? That's right, the people who took the one day. That when we're keeping the Sabbath, the Sabbath is keeping us. It's protecting us from living a crazy life that is out of focus, that doesn't have energy, that is scattering around looking for all these different things to satisfy us when it's God who is our delight and joy. It keeps us by not just protecting us, but by growing our faith. Because on that Sabbath day, when I say, I am not gonna work, I'm trusting God that I'll get done what I need to get done in the days that he's given me in the rest of the week. He's growing my faith in a God who made me and loves me. So the last question then is, how do we make changes and what changes should we consider? So I'm just gonna have you consider two changes. I want you to embrace God's rhythm for life. When God created this world, there's a rhythm. I'm glad that we live in a place where there's four seasons. There's rhythm even in the seasons. There's rhythm, night, day, sleep, activity. Embrace God's rhythm. There are daily rhythms. We don't have time to get into it, but you go through the life of Christ, you go through the life of godly men and women in the Bible, and you'll notice that one of the daily rhythms is this. Godly people connect with God early in the morning. Psalm 5.3, Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Psalm 88.13, but I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Psalm 119.147, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I put my hope in your word. Many of us feel constantly overwhelmed because we don't have rhythm in our lives. Embrace God's wise, healthy, simple rhythms. There's daily rhythms, getting together with God. There's daily rhythms of connecting around a meal. It's amazing. An hour is the average for three meals. Most of my kids, as they would tell, they'd say, my friends, they, they, none of them eat meals together. Guys, this is a beautiful gift from God. I don't have time. I, I, I can't cook. What? The, the, let's move towards his healthy rhythms, daily with God, with each other, exercise, good rest. And then there's that weekly rhythm of the Sabbath rest. And then there's the yearly rhythms that they had with the seven feasts and we would have with vacations and things like that. We all need rest. We all need to get in sync with God's rhythm. They're meant to bless us, to renew us and restore us. For all the things that you long for, God says, I got one day for you. 
a day that connects that garden experience, that very first Sabbath, with the final Sabbath where we will enter to rest and there will be no more sun marking time because Christ will be the light of all eternity. And until that day, Sabbath connects us to the past in the garden, to the future in heaven. We embrace it. And it is to our peril that we lead a scattered, frantic, boundaryless, busy life. That's all very natural. But this embracing rhythms and taking control second of our schedules, that actually takes great intentionality. So finally, let's talk about taking control of our calendars. If I looked at your calendar, what would I see? What do you put in your calendar? What are the things that you know you're going to do this week that aren't in your calendar? How are your relationships reflected in your calendar? Your relationship to God, your friends, your family, your spouse, your kids. How is that? How are your priorities? Do they show up in your calendar? I like what Bill Heibel says. Your calendar plays a critical role in determining who you will be as a Christ follower, family member, and as a friend. And I think, I typically think of my calendar of what I got going on. Here's what I got going on. I don't think about it. Who am I becoming? And this is really, a, really an important thing to think about. When we make the best use of our time, we're, we're thinking not just about what needs to get done, but who do I want to become? More importantly, who does God want me to become? Eugene P Peterson, pastor, author, writes this. The trick, of course, is to get the, to the calendar before anyone else does. See, if we don't put our priorities, the big rocks in our calendar, then what happens is somebody comes and says, hey, what about, and you go, oh, man, I guess I'm free. I'm good. He says, the trick is, we got to get to the calendar before anyone else does. Mark out the times. Here's his priorities. For prayer, for reading the Bible, for leisure, for quietness, for silence and solitude, out of which and only out of which comes his work as a pastor. Creative work, prayer work, preaching, creative listening. And so we need to schedule our priorities, not just our appointments. Our work and our rest our exercise, our priorities, our relationships, our times with God, not just my meetings with others. So Bill Hybels tells a story in his chapter on this in Simplify of an experience that is um, so close to home because I remember those little girls' faces pressed against the door and they were crying as I left again for a night meeting as a youth pastor. Daddy, daddy. And uh, Bill tells the time about when he was leaving for one of those meetings and his sweet little Shauna looked up to him and said, gone again tonight? And broke his heart. And he just kind of had to come to Jesus with God and trying to get this sorted out. And he said, I wrote one word into my calendar that changed the course of my life. I decided that if I'm going to be a good dad to that little girl, 
I need to be home four nights and only out three nights. And so the word was home on those four nights a week. He took control of his calendar and it changed his legacy. Today's the day to ask God, what is that word? Lord, if you were filling out my calendar, what does it look like? This is a time to reflect on what are we doing with our time? And what's the course correction that God wants us to make? What would our schedule look like if every week God said, here it is, Mark. I'm not sure what it would look like, but I know if we did it, then we'd get to the place where Jesus was at the end of his life when he said this in John 17, 4. Father, I've come to glorify your name. I've glorified your name, and I've accomplished everything you've asked me to do. Wow. And he didn't heal everybody, did he? And he didn't go preach in every town, did he? But he did exactly what the Father wanted him to do. May we move towards that place of going, this is what I'm supposed to do, so we better know I don't have to do all this other stuff. So we have the power to say no, and we can be people who make the most of every opportunity. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we recognize that time is yours, and we probably haven't thought like that, and so we just confess that we've thought it was ours. And we've kind of lost track of a lot of things in this whole thing of our time. And so, Lord, we do pray for grace. We pray for the wisdom, all the wisdom of your spirit and understanding to know your will that we might do it. We pray that you teach us to number our days and you'd help us to get in rhythm with you that we might find rest for our souls and delight in you and point people to a God who gives soul-satisfying rest. In Christ's name we pray, amen.